Relay FM. This is Connected, episode 151. Today's show is brought to you by Text Expander from Smile, Blue Apron, and Ting. My name is Mike Hurley, and I am joined by Mr. Stephen Hackett. Hey, buddy. How you doing? Just us today. Yeah, Federico, uh, he had to go tend to some very urgent tortoise business. Mm-hmm. So... He's he's on cleanup duty from last week's episode with 150 tortoises yeah. that I sent to uh, to Italy for him as a surprise gift. You, you would think chasing 150 turtles would be easy because they're slow, but when you have that many of them, it just it really gets out of hand. So it's just us, just the two of us together. I would recommend that maybe people uh, tweet to Federico. Ah, uh, see, you can't send 150 character tweets. See, I was going to suggest so that people close. send. 150 tortoise emoji to him. Well, you do 140, and then you do a second tweet with 10 more. It's easy. Yeah, that would work. Yeah. Well, just any amount, really, and eventually it will add up to 150. That's so good. I'm, I'm going to do it right now. Send your, your, your solidarity to Federico uh, as he's dealing with the tortoise situation by sending him tortoise emoji. I'm on the Mac, so I had to open the emoji picker, and then I was reminded how terrible that is on Mac OS. So we have some follow-up, Stephen. We do, but I'm still pacing turtles. Well, you're going to, you know, come on, get get your eyes on the prize. Okay, my eyes are on the the, the weirdest, not the weirdest, it's definitely not the weirdest email we've ever gotten for the show, but is uh, a little unusual, and this is from a, a listener I will call person familiar with the matter. So, a uh, person familiar with the matter writes in, uh, Apple was conducting a field capture period, so I'm going to stop right here. Field capture means... If Apple is looking at a problem with some of their hardware, then if you go to the Genius Bar with that problem, they're going to replace your device and your old one gets sent to Apple for them to poke at it. So very often in the weeks after an iPhone launch or uh, a new Mac launch, for instance, they may open one of these if there's some sort of issue or if they think there's an issue. So Apple is doing this with Apple Watches in in the the realm of the the back plate separating. So we've spoken about this a couple of times now where the little charging it's either glass or ceramic or not ceramic. Uh what's on the um the stainless steel watch like the the nice glass, the uh sapphire cover. Mm-hmm. Those things sometimes come off on the charger. We've all seen pictures of it. Apple was conducting a field capture period for that issue looking at a chemical found in certain sunscreens and lotions, which they believe can cause the adhesive to break down and fail. So there is adhesive that holds that little window on to the body, and some types of sunscreen and lotion can get in there and break that adhesive down, and then the thing comes apart. person familiar with the matter says, I understand that the number of affected units is quite vast, but the issue only occurs with certain uh, topical products. And it's unclear if this is just first-generation pains or if later models may see the issue in the future. I believe from this email that it's just the first-generation Apple Watch and that they have resolved this or changed the adhesive on later models. But, you know, you can't test for everything, right? And, and Apple, back in the Earth Day push, they were talking about how they test sweat and all these different things. And it seems like uh, maybe something slipped through. So uh, if you have one of these watches, like we've talked about, Apple's repairing them or replacing them. Uh, if you have a problem like this, take it to a Genius Bar, call Apple Care, and they should get you taken care of. But it's kind of interesting to hear a little bit behind the scenes. I, I find this sort of stuff just super interesting. Yeah, it also it lends kind of 
an explanation to the reason where it seems that at least the people that I've seen complaining about this tend to say this isn't the first time this happened to me. Yeah. Right. Like, you know, people that have written in or people that I've seen talking about us on Twitter, there seems to be quite a few people that it's happened to multiple times, which would make sense. Right. Because if it's a specific lotion or type of cream that is weakening this, well, if you continue to use that, there is a you have a, a, a still a, like a strong likelihood of it happening again unless they fix it. But, yeah, it was really interesting. Yeah, because you've got the brand of whatever that you like to use. Totally makes sense. Yeah. Uh, so I've I've not had this happen. I've had, you know. I watched for a long time, and uh, but turns out it's out there. So if, again, if you have this issue, talk to Apple. It seems like they're taking care of people. Maybe what it's really saying is that me and you just don't use enough lotion products. Hmm. I use very little product. There you go. That's why. You just you just keep it real, oh natural. So we're going to move from a person familiar with the lotion matter to issues with face scanning. So Leon sent a tweet in to me, uh, which was really interesting. He mentioned. Uh, that women who wear headscarves that may cover their faces, like hijabs or niqabs or burkas, could have issues with a face detection system on the iPhone. I thought this was very interesting. Because, yes, if you're covering your face for whatever reason it is that you want to cover your face, be it religious or if you just prefer to live your life that way, you could potentially have a problem with a face detection system that you may not have with a fingerprint system now i just said you know that there are people under certain circumstances where they would also wear gloves as well as headscarves so they may not be able to use any of these types of systems but let's just say that you do have your hands free right right now you can just use touch idea and you're good to go and if apple are going to just use a predominantly camera based system right this could be a problem when i say camera i mean like you know traditional cameras as we see but i was wondering if maybe an infrared system could also help with this i don't know what the power or the technical limitations or benefits of using infrared is but i will be very interested to see if apple's system will be able to see through stuff like that because it it will obviously help with people that are in these situations or choose to be in these situations but if it doesn't, then that's going to be a frustration. But with every one of these things, it does, I guess, discount some people, right? Like if you don't have fingerprints, if you don't have a hand, if you don't have any hands, right, that can help you. That's going to be difficult for you with Touch ID. This is what we were talking about the first time, right? Like every one of these systems, these biometric systems, will exclude a group of people in right. some cases. And it's up to Apple to make it, so it's so their their phones their products are still accessible to these people in some way to try and not make it too difficult for them even through a period of change. Yeah, I think it's totally fair, and it's just about making the right trade offs. And you know, if Touch ID survives and they add face scanning ID, whatever they're going to call it, then it could be more inclusive, right? That you could have groups of people who can't use Touch ID who can use the face. And so I'm hoping that this is additive, but who knows, right? Like every day right, there's a new right, rumor right. that that now the rumor we're not gonna get into it today, but the rumor I think is that the the unicorn iPhone Pro is now not gonna be even in in like manufacturing until October or November. I mean, who knows? But it seems like there's something going on. But yeah, I think this was a good point by Leon and uh I think one definitely worth considering. Now we spent some time talking about uh face ID system and twins. 
naturally. And, you know, I, I think at the time when we were talking about this, I was just like, look, I just believed that there would be a way to solve this problem. Turns out there is. Jonathan wrote in to let us know that Windows Hello can currently identify identical twins accurately. So it is, in theory, possible for Apple to do this. Now, this is from uh, an article on Business Insider. I'll just read a little, uh, little paragraph from this. Uh, the facial recognition software that is in Windows Hello, requires a RealSense camera from Intel. The RealSense camera is made up of three different cameras in the system, an infrared, regular, and 3D camera. The software then combines these into a single image that can judge depth, heat, and photos to decide whether the user matches. And this, combined with whatever software that uh, Microsoft have written for Windows Hello, can tell twins, identical twins, apart. So, yes, it is possible if it's done, rec- if it's done correctly. So that's pretty cool. That is pretty cool, I think. You know, if I was making a product like this, I would totally do that demo, you know? Yeah. Like bring it, bring identical twins out to show how good your product is. It's pretty like good. Like it would be a pretty cool demo. Like you bring identical twins on the stage and then like you set it up with one of them. Then the other one tries yeah. to open it and can't. Then, you know, that's a pretty it, cool demo, I think. I think you also have to demo evil twins, right? Like you don't want your evil twin getting into your Facebook account. That would be that was how Craig Federighi would would do the demo. I think would talk about evil twins. He would just come out with yeah. a goatee, like evil, yeah. yeah, from the bad timeline. So we have spoken a lot about security cameras recently, about the Logitech thing. Uh, Nest is back with something they're calling the Nest Cam IQ. It looks sort of like they're the outdoor Nest Cam, but it's only indoor. There's not an outdoor version of this yet. It uses a 4K sensor but it's only recording in 1080. And what that lets this camera do is really kind of trippy. And there's a video in the show notes, MKBHD did on YouTube, that explains this and shows it. It can zoom in and keep the image really clear because it's capturing 4K, but only, I guess, exporting 1080. So there's, there's lots of data to work with. And because it can do this, it can zoom in. It can follow people and learn faces. So, for instance, if I have, you know my face and my wife's face in the Nest software, it won't sense a problem if it sees us enter. Yeah. MKBHD was saying that right now uh, it still sends notifications, which is a little weird. But so yeah. it would say like Stephen is in the office when really it would be nice if you just said like if you recommend if you like recognize a face, don't send a notification. Totally. But at least it's good to like to get because I mean I can see why you would also maybe want one, right? So you know when your partner is home or you know when your family member is home if that's a thing. Um, but it would be good to have the ability to turn that off. I do think that all of this stuff sounds really cool. And I will say, watching this video, I, f- I felt a little bit sad about my Canary. Like, I love my Canary home security system. Like, I love it. I have spoken about it effusively over the years. But I don't... Whatever the company is doing right now is not what I'm interested in, right? Like, the the outdoor camera, great. I mean, I don't have an outdoors to protect. I live in an apartment building. Like, I would like to see some more... Like, a new version of the Canary, which has some cool features that are like this. Because, honestly, like, I'm getting a bit tempted with the Nest now. Like, looking at that, I'm like, ooh, I like all of that. Like, the 4K sensor thing is really smart. Face detection is really smart. Like, being able to set those hot zones that you talk about, like, or, like, areas not to detect. Like, our canary goes off every once in a while because it gets light from a window. Mm-hmm. And we could, I guess, just put a box around that area and be like, don't sense anything from that area because it's like it's just sensing it from the window. So, I don't know. I, I would like to see that. I have my fingers crossed because, you know, the canary... 
in my opinion, was the superior camera for a long time. And my hope would be that like they're working on some stuff that they can leapfrog again, but we're just going to have to wait and see. Yeah, I, I've got a canary and I use it because it, it can make an alarm sound. That's all built in. Uh, and it will show temperature and humidity. So it's nice. I keep one in my office. But yeah, so I, I definitely am very interested in the Nest Cam IQ. I ordered one of the Logitech cameras that they are f- promising future HomeKit support. I ordered the system where you can stick it to a window because uh, mm. where where I want to put it, that's actually kind of a key thing. So I am looking forward to trying that. But at the same time, this Nest Cam IQ definitely has my eye. And so I, I've i got the Logitech. I'm not going to commit to changing platforms. At this point, I will have the Logitech, a Nest, and a Canary. So I feel like I can kind of keep eye on everything and, and see how it evolves. Wow, you're all over the place. All over the place. Uh, and none of them support HomeKit. So I, I have... I, I could just have a little folder in my iPhone full of camera apps, but I'm hoping that, you know, Logitech's, Logitech says they're going to support HomeKit with this thing. There's that rumor that Nest may move that way. Uh, Canary has promised it in a version 2 that continue, continues to not ship, so I don't really know what's yep. going, going on there. But, yeah, it's, a, it's an exciting time if you care about this stuff. And, again, like, I'm also continuing to hope that we're going to see something interesting come from the new HomeKit stuff, right? Like that, that that's going to help more companies. Like that's, that was kind of the hope. Yes. Uh, we'll see. It's early days, I think for that, right? Like if that was just announced, it takes these companies time to change course. So, you know, maybe in the fall or sometime next year, we'll see uh, an influx of options. Yeah, we will. I hope so. Because I, I would like to be able to have a system that works with HomeKit, right? Like I'm, I'm interested in that. So I'm hoping that we can get it. And, but, and I, you know, I really hope that it is the canary because for all of the reasons that you mentioned was the reasons that we went with it, right? Like the fact that it has these additional functions in it, it has additional sensors in it. It has like the alarm, like all of that stuff is what made me go this route in the first place. And I, w- I, d- I wouldn't want to lose any of those, right? Like they are all things that I find useful and I'm happy that we have. Like, for example, like I think to myself, if there was a fire the canary would know because of a temperature spike. Right. Right. And like that is a, that's just a good thing to have where these other systems don't have it. Right. Like it it is what makes the canary kind of a more well-rounded security system as opposed to just a camera. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, really I want to see that product advance rather than me having to move to a different product because I'm unhappy with a rate of change. But anyway, should we move on? Let's move on. Let's thank a sponsor for this week's episode, and that is Ting. Ting is a mobile phone service that wants to help you save money. Ting believes that you should only pay for what you're using. And with prices like $10 per gigabyte of data, the average Ting customer pays just $23 a month per phone. If you're in the US and you use a cell phone, you are going to love what Ting can do for you. I mean... Obviously, you fit into this group, right? Like, if you have a cell phone and you're in the U.S., that's a huge portion of you, I think. Ting doesn't believe in contracts, overage fees, or unlimited plans. They have top-rated, no-hold customer support. When you call Ting, you get through to a real person. They're focused on offering the best prices they can for their customers. Any savings they can make, they pass on to you, and 80% of devices made in the last two years can come to Ting. 
And now, Ting even allows you to get the latest iPhone as it launches, along with Apple Care as well. So Ting now do iPhones. This is something you can get with Ting. And when the next iPhone comes out, Ting are going to get it. Ting offers service on both CDMA and GSM networks. And they are the first mobile provider to let you have different devices on of different network types under one easy-to-manage account. So you can have GSM or CDMA on Ting all in one account. Look, I'm sure by this point that I've convinced you that you should be looking to switch to Ting, and they can help you out with that. If you're stuck in a contract, they will offer a 25% credit off your early termination fee as well. This is up to $75 per device that you bring to Ting. And then when you switch over, you'll be able to use Ting's awesome control panel to manage your usage and bills. To get started, head over to connected.ting.com. That's connected.ting.com. And use Ting's handy device checker to confirm that your phone can make the move. And if you're looking to upgrade, they have plenty of options available for you in their online store. Listeners of this show can get also $25 on selected devices or keep that as Ting credit. Just go to connected.ting.com and see how much you can save. We thank Ting for their support of this show. So, more follow-up. All the great follow-up. All the great follow-up. I think we've transitioned it into tiny topics. It's, it's very confusing this week. PayPal is coming to iTunes. Remember PayPal? I know what PayPal is. You put this in the document. I don't understand this remember PayPal thing. You you know, PayPal's a big deal when you use it every month to pay me. Yeah, we use it a lot at Relay. I, I really just mean that, like, I don't know, I have a growing uneasiness about PayPal for some reason. Well, yeah. So I just, like, I don't keep money in it. I use it as a conduit, and then, and that's it. But it's still a thing. And now you can use it to pay for stuff in the Apple App Store and content universe, which is, I mean, if you use PayPal a lot, that's nice. Or if you're... I was curious about this. Uh, I don't really know the answer, but maybe you do. If you can use PayPal, if you don't have a credit card, like in a certain country, like if you have a U.S. account yeah. and you don't live in the U.S., if PayPal lets you get around that. Oh, well, that could be interesting. Uh, I hadn't thought of that. Like, potentially, yes. I mean, the, you know, the good thing about this, that the reason that this is a big deal, is there are lots of people in different countries in the world, but like in everywhere, that just for whatever reason can't get a credit card, can't get a bank card or whatever and paypal can help with a lot of that like there are different ways to get money into paypal you know you can do it by direct deposit in the uk they could do it by direct debit so they just just take it straight from your bank account you can transfer money into it in different ways like it it is adding a level of flexibility honestly when this news came out i was like oh why don't they already do that like that seems like a thing that should already exist but now it does now it does this is the thing that you need then great, PayPal f- is for you. And it's it's starting out in Canada and Mexico and rolling out to more countries uh, as the year progresses, I think. Yeah, so there you go. You put the next one in. What, what are yeah. you doing? Yeah, so, all right, okay. Just <sighs> bear with me a second, all right? I want to talk about fidget spinners. Oh, like, God. okay, look, don't, just, just hold on, all right? Please, just wait. Like, just give me a second. Come on, I need to, I need to do this. Uh, the reason we're talking about fidget spinners now um, is because I guess they're going out of style, right? Which I think is this is the way this is how you do things on tech podcasts. You start to talk about something as soon as it's on the decline, right? Because that's by the time that it's entered into the tech nerd sphere, the rest of the world has stopped caring. I think there have been many examples of this type of thing over the years, uh, but here we are with the fidget spinners. Now, I had seen this, didn't understand it. Like I just don't get what it is i just didn't 
just had no idea. You're too old. You're, you're Maybe old that's m- what it is. Millennials are too old. I just wanted to be like, why? Why is this? Like, why are people so like? Why is this a phenomenon? So I thought. So I opened up Amazon one day, and I searched for fidget spinner, and it was just a nightmare. Like just just nightmare results. Like just every conceivable thing. From prices from like two dollars to seventy dollars, like I just didn't get where to go, where to look. I was like, well, I'm not going to get one of these things if what I end up getting is just some piece of junk. Like it, all of the articles that you would search for, like what is the best fidget spinner, was just completely useless. So I just gave up because I'm like, I'm not going to just spend money on this thing that's going to fall apart. Like if I want to do this, if I want to buy one, if I want to try it out, I want to see what the fuss is about. I want to get one that I know is good, so I get the idea of the experience a couple of weeks ago the thing that i wanted to happen happened the wire cutter published the best fidget spinners article and i went ahead and bought what they considered to be the best basic spinner which is the zec pro anti-anxiety 360 they all have these crazy names um it was like 12 dollars on amazon it was like eight pounds for me it was on prime it came the next day and i have it and I opened it up, I span it, and I was like, I don't understand. Like, I just didn't get it. I was like, what is this? This is nonsense. Like, this is just some pieces of plastic that I'm spinning, and it's just moving. Like, I didn't get it. It was just ridiculous, right? It's really the, the Snapchat of moving plastic is what you're saying. You know what? I would say that, and that was really good title bait. So That's all it was. Good work. I know. I know you've been sitting there concocting that one. It was really good. It was really good. If we don't use it as a title, because it was funny then I just want to acknowledge at this point that it was a really good title. Um, I will say at this point, I have I also have a fidget cube. I backed the fidget cube on Kickstarter because I was like, that is a thing that I would want. Because I do, I fidget with stuff. I twiddle pens and I'm doing, when I'm recording, I like to keep my hands busy and that's the way that I do it. The problem with the fidget cube, it's basically all of it makes noise. So I can't do anything with it when I'm recording because you'll be hearing these little clicky sounds the whole time and it will drive me or whoever's editing the show wild so then i put my fidget spinner on my desk and i can spin it i'm spinning it right now and you can't hear anything because it's silent unless like you hit something with it right or if you i'm doing a lot of foley work today by the way this is really good stuff or if you're kind of spinning it in front of the microphone you might hear the wind and then it made sense to me because now i have this dumb little plastic toy that I can mindlessly play with. And I have been for like a week. So I don't understand the idea necessarily of these things relieving stress. I think they relieve stress as much as any stress toy relieves stress, which is actually not at all. Um, But they're just fun little desk toys to play with. And I just wanted to give my, my personal endorsement to fidget spinners, especially if you're a podcaster, as a thing to keep your hands occupied while you're recording. Uh, I've only dropped it like one time, um, and I was luckily in a show where I could edit it out, and it was no problem. I just wanted to say thank you to the wire cutter for helping me through this, and now I have the best basic spidget, fidget spinner or spidget thinner depending on your tastes and i enjoy it a lot and uh, if you've been listening to a show that i have recorded in the last seven days including this one um, you can feel safe in the knowledge that i have been spinning my fidget spinner for the entire time hmm. well there you go if to launch powerful applet tool 
in new maker teal tier. <laughs> you not interested, huh? You I'm just really want to just breeze right past the whole fidget spinner thing. Yep, I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna. We'll see if it survives the edit. <clears throat> the if you take it out, then there's gonna be mm. trouble. No one's gonna hear your great line. Oh no, no! You can't take it out. You made too good a joke. You can't take oh, it out. Oh man, an editor divided against himself cannot stand. So we have long talked about if as as a web automation tool, but I think there's been a lot mm-hmm. of complaints that it is basically just two steps, right? You have a trigger and you have an action, and that's been basically it. But yep. if has slowly been evolving where you can tie multiple things together, more like what Zapier does. Zapier does a whole lot of stuff. One of the things it can do is you can you can set off a whole chain of events with one trigger, right? So this thing happens, and I want all these other things to happen because of that. And if to slowly uh, moving into that space, and uh, so you have an example of this. It's kind of hard to talk about it in the abstract. You have an example of what you're doing now with it. Ift. Yeah. So they they launched this maker tier a couple of months ago, and it's just been something I've been having, like, been wanting to talk about. And we we had some space in the show today, so I put it in. And you know, you mentioned Zapier, and Zapier is great. It already lets you create like. In, in one of their, what they call zaps, their little workflows, you can create actions that have multiple steps, right? So it can, like, one thing can trigger multiple things. And as you and as you rightly put, like, the problem with IFTT is that it hasn't been. It's just been too, like, one thing happens, th- other thing happens, job done. And the thing that was frustrating for me is, like, I've had some stuff that I've wanted to do with my home automation things that I haven't been able to do because Zapier just doesn't have the hooks for this stuff and any of the kind of people that are trying to bridge things i've not been too happy with the way it's all worked but but i've known that ifttt works really well because i've been using it to like to trigger my canary and stuff for a while and so i've what the the the, what i've created is there's something that i've wanted to do for such a long time and haven't found a a real good way to do it which was when we go to bed we're like in the living room and we go to the bedroom i've wanted to be able to say to my echo to trigger bedtime and the lights would turn off in the living room our hue lights and turn on in the bedroom and it does this now because I've created an IFTTT applet that I can, it starts off with a, with an Amazon tr- Echo Trigger, which is trigger bedtime. And then it has two options, you know, the two hue options. One is turn off, the other is turn on, and it's done and it's perfect. Like it's really great that the th- you have to do some funky stuff for the the to make the maker tier. You have to like sign up for it separately, but with your IFTTT account. I put a link in the show notes to uh, Max Story's article that Ryan wrote, kind of explaining how you do this. Um, it's not a weird thing. It's just like I don't know why they're doing it. It feels like a kind of a separate product, which really I think they should probably charge for, but they're not. Um, and I haven't done anything else with it yet. But I know that I will eventually because the more and more of the home automation stuff that I get, the more I want these things to talk together and the ability to have a trigger operate multiple things, I think is a really useful and powerful part of this whole thing. And this new IFTTT maker tier has done that for me. So I've I've been really happy because it was one of the last big things that I wanted to solve within my home. Just because it is so much easier and so much nicer to just say the one thing, and we do it and we love it, and that's how we we use it every single day when we're getting ready for bed. To just say, just call out to the echo, say trigger bedtime, and we're all good to go. It's nice. I I wonder if you could have done that with scenes. You could have one scene 
with the living room on and the bedroom off, and another scene the opposite, and just trigger the scene change. <sighs> yes, but it requires. It's not, it's not as nice. Yeah, yeah, but it also requires certain parameters need to be set, right? So let's if if the lights are already on in the bedroom, and we say trigger bedtime, it just takes care of it. Where I might not necessarily know that the lights are on in the bedroom. But then if you're doing a scene change thing, it can ruin stuff like that. Like it can things can start to get a little bit confused, I think. Hmm. That's interesting. So. I'm glad they're doing it. And I agree with your point. You sort of said it as an aside, but I want to come back to it. They should charge for this. Like yeah, I don't know why they're not. I, I pay honestly. Zapier, whatever it is, 20 bucks a month because I have a lot of stuff feeding Todoist through there. And I'm happy to pay for it because it makes my life better. But if... Like you, you, you need a business model, and this seems like something. You know, maybe it's hard to sign up for right now, and that maybe it's some sort of beta. I don't know if that's how they're describing it, but maybe in the future, if it's easier to deal with, it could be paid. But I agree with you. Like, I think you'd probably pay for it, and I think other people yeah. would too. Like, it seems like an easy way to monetize a service that otherwise has been. I think everything else they do is free, right? There, there's no way to give them money. Yep. Yeah, like I pay for Zapier because of the things that it can do and the, totally. because I have Zapier zaps that run every single day like that, that help create spreadsheets and stuff for me yeah. um, that I, I'm very happy to pay for. And I would be happy to pay for this because I would use this. I use this trigger every single day. Like why would I not give, like, throw down $5 a month, right? Like I would be happy to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kyle put a link in the chat room. Apparently when you sign up for this, you get a little public profile page. Yep, so I, I can do. see I can see your bedtime lights. Yep, you can see my bedtime lights trigger if I, you want. This is it. It's off? like the makers thing is like no, you it doesn't luckily it doesn't <laughs> interact with my specific Oh man, what a bummer. House. That'd that would awesome. suck, I'd, I'd pay for that. <laughs> well, I mean, I think a lot of people would pay for that, wouldn't they? If yeah. they could just turn my bedroom lights on and off at any time that they That'd want. That'd be good. The next item says, you want to make a prediction. I do. I want to make a prediction. So, last night, um, our intrepid designer, Forgotten Tale on Twitter, tweeted about an image that's been going around of some iPhone faceplates. Right, and it's they're white. So this is a, a current iPhone faceplate in white, and a purported iPhone eight faceplate in white. And he, the tweet just says from him, "What would be the point of having a white faceplate with this design?" And if you look at the image, you'll see that you know this, this is following what you expect the the iPhone to look like with these really thin bezels, right? So what's the point in having a white face if the bezel's so thin, right? That's kind of the the, the conceit here, which makes sense. My prediction is that there will be no white version of the iPhone 8 because they wouldn't want to highlight there being any bezels at all, right? Like this this phone will be marketed and sold upon the fact that the screen's so big. So it would make more sense in my mind to have black bezels because then they won't be highlighted as much. They kind of blend in with the screen in a, in a more comfortable way. I think the phone will still come in colors. I don't know what colors they'll be, but I my prediction is that all of the faces will be black for the next iPhone. I uh, I will I'll I'll get on board with that. I think looking at this picture, this uh, this thing is hideous, and and I, I I am biased that I don't like the white front glass anyways. But with the cutout and everything, it looks it does not look good. So, yep. When there's so little, it yeah. doesn't make sense to to stand out. Yeah, and then they just have different colors on the back. I, I'm over with this prediction. I think that, that makes two of us. Yeah, I do also wonder if this next iPhone will even come in gold or rose gold. I think it might just be like 
silver and a like a stainless steel and a, maybe like a jet black. Like you know, I, I, if it's all glass, I don't think it will actually come in colors. Um, but yeah. we'll see about that. Yeah, we'll see. We will see. All right. This week's episode is also brought to you by our friends over at Smile. And today I want to talk to you about Text Expander because you can communicate smarter with Text Expander. It is perfect for standardizing and improving the written replies that you send every single day, helping you to eliminate boilerplate drudgery. With Text Expander, you can recall your best and most frequently used words and phrases by creating a keyboard shortcut and letting Text Expander do the work for you. For example, you could easily set up a snippet for your company's tagline, an address or phone number that you use a lot, or maybe even a standard introduction that you use when emailing someone new. And that's not all. Text Expander can format dates, autocorrect misspellings, and even search your team's collected knowledge with a few letters and a hotkey. Text Expander can also help you collaborate better in tools like Slack with text snippets, share links faster by creating shortcuts to your favorite websites, and even helping keep your company on message by sharing your team's collected knowledge. I cannot state enough how much I love Text Expander. It's just one of these tools that if I'm trying to use it and it's not open or something's gone wrong because I hate my Mac and for some reason it will not open a small selection of apps still every time I turn it on. I don't want to get into it today. Um, but if Text Expander is one of the affected applications, my Mac feels broken until I put it back together again. Like there are things like the names of our shows, right? They're all in Text Expander snippets for me now. And it's one of these things that's become muscle memories. Like I couldn't even tell you what the snippets are, but my fingers know because I use Text Expander so often. I also do this thing where like um I'll set a due date on a on an invoice or whatever when I'm sending out an invoice. And you can do this thing with Text Expander, which is so amazing. I can have it auto find the date by just doing today's date plus a month. And it's just like, oh, my God, when I had that epiphany that day, because I was writing in like, you know, I give people 30 days notice or whatever on an invoice and say like today I would I would put on the invoice 18th of August is when it's payable by. But now I just type in like a couple of keys for the date and it knows what today's date is and does a month plus one. And I am in love. If you spend any amount of your day typing, you need Text Expander. Try it for free for 30 days on the Mac, iPad, iPhone, or Windows. Go to textexpander.com slash connected, and you can try it out and start your free trial today. We'd like to thank Text Expander for their support of this show and Relay FM. There is a rumor about the next Echo from Amazon that it will be more like the upcoming HomePod. I think this rumor really kind of focuses on this speaker in the Echo is it's not great. It's not it's not terrible, but it's not great. And especially I think in comparison with like a Sono system or what Apple's promising the HomePod to be, the full-size Echo falls a little behind. And this rumor uh, reported on by Engadget says that Amazon is going to take those on in a more direct way that the next echo will sound a lot better maybe a little bit smaller uh, a little bit wider but the the key feature will be sound quality i for one would welcome that change what do you think yeah i would be excited about that because i basically the 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 rumors overall for this product is i'm more interested in than i was the uh echo show like the echo show everything that it does 
or ads, I should say, is stuff that I'm not really too interested in. It, it apparently has better sound quality, but it also comes with a bunch of other things that I don't want, where just a straight-up version 2 of the Echo is more something I'm more interested in. Like, I like my Echo mostly how it is. Like, I'm good with it. But if they... So they're going to you know, put... put What it says from the, the, the Engadget article, they're going to be packing in several tweeters, apparently, instead of just one, also a woofer. And it seems like the audio quality is what they're what they're gunning for. And I sometimes will play music on it. Um, I connect it via Bluetooth to play podcasts um, if I'm washing dishes or whatever and don't have an iPad nearby. Because honestly, those iPad speakers do a pretty fantastic job. They do. But the the other things that they suggest from the article are physical changes um, to the Echo, and that it's going to change significantly in size. So instead of it being a, a big tall canister, it's going to be much smaller. Um, it's described as if four Echo Dots were stacked on top of each other, which is a significant size difference. That's like a, probably like a third, maybe t- yeah. somewhere yeah. between a third and a half of the size, which I find peculiar if they're going to be putting more audio equipment <laughs> M- in more and they in can it. make it smaller. <laughs> I had that thought uh, too. I'm, I'm not really sure how they're doing that. My only assumption is that maybe there's just a lot of wasted space in the current one, which could be possible. Um they're also going to be putting some unspecified improvements to the microphone technology as well, and that it's going to be kind of a softer, more round edges design with a cloth-like covering. So it sounds honestly sounds a lot uh, a lot like a HomePod. It sounds like it would be phys- probably physically smaller than a HomePod. I think from everything that I've heard described, like the HomePod seems from everything that I've heard that it's small, but it's kind of plump where maybe this wouldn't be. It would maybe be a, a, a little bit more of the size that we're used to, but but like half of it. This is an intriguing product to me. Like it's it's kind of what I'm looking for. Um, it Because it, as I said, the HomePod seems more focused on music and less on digital assistant, where I'm way more focused on digital assistant and less music. So mm-hmm. like just everything that the rumors say, everything that the basic information would say, I would be more, I think, interested in an Echo 2 than a HomePod. Yeah, me too. Uh, and as a side, I put the iFixit teardown of the Amazon Echo in the show notes. Stuff's packed in there pretty well, but there, it looks like it could be more dense. The huh. I agree with you. My issue with the HomePod is going to be that I'm not an Apple Music subscriber, and I try it every nine months or so, and it's just not for me. We have a Spotify account we use with the Echo, so we can just talk to it, and... I think that we will probably continue that route. And I, like you, want the uh, assistant stuff. In fact, on Prime yep. Day, the only thing I bought was another Echo Dot for somewhere else in the house. Like, we've got three of them now. And it's just kind of becoming our voice system in the house. And, you know, if it sounds better, then I'll replace the one in the kitchen because that we use that to listen to music all the time. And like I said, it's not great, but it's not bad. It's not terrible. Uh, it gets the job done, but having something that would sound better would be welcome. And so I, like you, am definitely interested in this rumor. And if it comes true, I would replace the tall Echo in, in our kitchen with this thing. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking about getting another dot on Prime Day, but I was waiting to see if there would be an Echo too, because then I'll have an extra Echo, right? Like if, if I replace it, like the one more that I would maybe want for our house, I would have it because if I would have this spare one, the old one. I mean, this this is a product that I am very interested in because it's moving more towards what I want out of these these products. Um, 
I'm not. I'm just. I'm really just not interested in putting a screen on it. And a pure music product is is not my bag. It's just it's just not where I am with what I want from these things. And I I don't foresee. Um, based on what we've seen already, I just don't foresee Apple being as open um, as Amazon has been with allowing people to develop to it and and allowing the system to adapt. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, even if that was the eventual plan, it's going to be a ways away because everything that they've shown so far, like, is like, oh, it's going to be a basic version of Siri, right? Like, it's it's not even the Siri that we're used to, like, in in its entirety. So... I don't have high hopes for the HomePod to replace the Echo, but I don't think, honestly, that is its intended thing right now. I think at least from what the story Apple have told so far is that it's meant to be a music product. This could all change, right? By the time that it comes out, they could have done a million more things and it's going to be like, surprise, we tricked you, you know? It's got a um, micro projector in the top. <laughs> I mean, and there's no. this, yeah, we don't have a screen because there's a projector. Uh, there is the possibility that it could that it still has the ability to do more than what we've seen, but I'm not, I'm not going to hold out hope for that um, when I'm already happy enough with my Echo family of products that I would get this right if it comes out like i'm not, I'm not going to hold off if the echo 2 comes out because the home pod might fulfill my dreams when i just i just don't think that it will yeah agreed totally agree so i think it's exciting i think amazon has to do this right they got pinged by apple of being a smart assistant but that sounded like garbage like in that mm-hmm. side-by-side thing the sonos sounded good but didn't have a voice assistant and both sonos and amazon i think are going to move closer to the middle where apple is but of course the echo friend in a tube can do a lot more than siri can so i i really don't see a lot of movement for sonos i'm just gonna say no, it. Like, they're, I really, they're done i yeah I, I, I guess we have a lot of these types of things it's a lot more beneficial when you have a whole ecosystem of products that can take advantage of this this is the same for me as the photo stuff right mm-hmm. like photo sharing photo services are really expensive and difficult to run so the companies that can afford to do it reliably are companies that give you photos as part of an overall product exactly. and i think that this is going to be a similar thing that like creating a smart speaker or like a, a just a good sounding home speaker when these companies start to move in on it it becomes more and more difficult for a company like sonos to keep a competitive edge because they can't underwrite the cost of it against anything else so i I just don't as soon as companies like amazon like apple like google start to move in on a space like this it becomes a lot more difficult for other companies to compete because these these large technology giants have a lot to lose the Echo voice assistant is showing up in more and more places. So there's a, a new phone, the HTC U11, that mm-hmm. includes hands-free uh, Amazon Assistant. So before, you could, you could just use it in an app like you can on iOS or Android. But on the U11, it's built in like Siri. It's actually built in in parallel to the Google Assistant. Yep. And what's kind of interesting about this is this is a phone that has already been for sale. And now it has this. And nobody knew this was going to happen until now, which is very interesting. So it assists the Google Assistant, Wake Word, uh, as well as the Amazon one. They can be enabled at the same time. So you could just shout at your phone either keyword and the correct thing will happen. The There are limitations, of course. If the phone is locked, you have to unlock it before it can perform an action. I agree so with dumb. you, but I can kind of see why it's that way, that, that the, the Google Assistant is built in 
to Android, and this thing has been bolted on by HTC, and maybe they they can't they can't modify well, it. Well, yeah, but HTC make a skin, right? They make a version of of Android that is going on these devices, so it's not impossible. I assume it's not impossible for them to do this. Um, it might be like I don't know what the security is like, but. That, that, you know, there could be a way. It's basically the way that I feel about this is I don't understand how these types of things happen. Like, if you have an idea like this, and your idea is we're going to put Amazon's Assistant into our phones, and it's going to be an option, and it's going to go head-to-head with Google Assistant, plus this one that HTC have, which isn't they don't really promote very much because I don't think it's very good. Um, and you, can, you can call it from any point, and, you know, we're going to make a big thing about the fact that it's built in. You've You've, like screwed up so badly in the effect that i could shout it out but it won't it can't do anything right mm-hmm. like what's the point in having it be wake wordable if the wake word all it does is just like turn a screen on and then you have to unlock it you've got the phone in your hands like it's not useful i i, I don't see why people would go to this over the google assistant when the google assistant can do whatever it needs to do like it it seems like a, a honestly Whilst I think this is interesting for a few different reasons, like this, the fact that it has this limitation kind of invalidates it from yeah. actually being useful in any meaningful way. And this isn't all. It also cannot perform any on-device actions like opening apps or sending messages. It cannot play any music from services other than Amazon. It has no ability to set alarms, reminders, or timers, or make the video or audio calls through uh, Amazon service that they've been promoting. And like HTC, man. All right, like, okay, you got some headlines, but like that's all this thing does for you. Like this is so interesting as a potential thing to occur for Amazon, right? That they could put their assistant, bake it in to other Android smartphones, right? Like what a great idea. But then when you get down to the nuts and bolts, I don't know why anyone would use this. Agreed. Totally like, agree. You may as well at this point just use the app. There's no point having it have a, a, a wake word if you have to have the phone in your hand and unlocked every mm-hmm. time. Yeah. No, you you are uh, you are correct. So now there is one thing that I don't know, which which is is a potential here. Um, I'm I'm not sure if and how this is working, but I am a, I am aware of the fact that, and I think this is going to be official in the next version of Android that your phone can be unlocked based upon proximity. Right, So if you're like connected to your home Wi-Fi network, your phone will be unlocked. Now, if that can work in conjunction with this, then it's useful again, right? Like if your phone is automatically unlocked because you're at home, yeah. then you can use it and it works. Now, I, I cannot verify that that is the case because I don't have this device. But if that was the case, then great. Otherwise, if that doesn't work, then this is dumb. You should buy one. No, I don't answer. want one. This is, as you asked me before we were recording today, this is the phone that you can squeeze. And basically what that means is it is not a squishy phone, um, but if you (laughs) apply pressure to the sides of this phone, it can jump into like apps and launch shortcuts and things for you. It, It has pressure sensitivity built into the frame of the phone, which is weird. Mm hmm. But it is interesting because you can map it to anything, right? Like, it is a weird way to perform a shortcut action, but the fact that you can map it to do whatever you want, to open your favorite application or whatever is cool. 
but that is, that is strange. I'm going to include another MKBHD video into the show notes. He did a review of this phone, including kind of demoing the uh, squeezability factor of the HTC U11. It's really, it's weird. Like, it is weird, uh, but like, I think at this point, with where HTC is, they kind of need whatever they can get to make them stand out, which I think is why they've done the Amazon thing, because HTC are not the titan that they once were. Um, so, yeah, I think that that might be why they're doing this in the first place. Yeah. Who knows? Whilst we're talking about squeezy phones... Oh. Okay. Yeah, I'm not done. This is actually rumored to be in the next Google Pixel as well. I, I read this story... And I was I was really surprised because it seems so gimmicky to me, and so yep. accident like just waiting for accidents to happen. But uh, Android police posted a what they say is a leak of the pickle pixel of the pickle of the pickle XL. Oh, Google Pickle! What? <laughs> that sounds like a April Fool's joke waiting to happen. Yeah, yeah, that's really good. Uh, the phone looks great. It's you know small bezel AMOLED display squeezable frame <laughs> what can you do just squeezing all over the place oh dear yeah the edge to edge display is going to be a big thing right like this is the thing this is the trend of the year right which it adds to the pressure on apple to have a phone that has it because everybody else is doing it um what i found interesting about the squeezable pickleness of this phone is that this phone is being made by lg now, the previous Pixel was made by HTC. So when I yeah. first heard that it was going to be squeezable, I'm like, yeah, of course, because HTC did that. But LG are doing it as well. So maybe this is a thing that's happening now? This is like a, a thing in the, in, in the Android hardware device world that the phones are going to be squeezable? I mean, I guess it helps Like if you want to have shortcuts and you don't want to put buttons on the phone and make it squeezable. Uh, the edge-to-edge display, AMOLED, 6 inches, 2.1... A two-to-one aspect ratio. How do you feel about a two-to-one aspect ratio? I feel like you would have an opinion about this. I do have an opinion about this. Uh, and I, I have spent a little time with a S8. Not, um, I don't own one, but I spent some time with one. It is very strange. It feels really different than you know what we've been used to. I have a feeling that it's coming to the iPhone this seems to be where things are going. Maybe not quite two to one, but closer to it. It is nice to have a phone that's narrower, but all in all, I think I'm a little uncomfortable with it, but it may just be lack of, you know, 10 years of using it, right? That we've we've been basically the same ratio for a long time. And then Apple slowly changed it. But it it, it feels more different in your hand than you think it would. It feels It feels... Uh, futuristic in a way, like it, it. I don't know. I don't really don't know how to put it into into words, but it's uh, it's more of a break from what I was used to than I thought it would be. I'll leave it at that. Bigger camera sensor. The glass panel at the back is smaller this time. Has a fingerprint sensor on the back, front facing speakers. This this will probably be unveiled. I reckon either just before or just after the iPhone. Um, I don't know when they'll ship it. I think last time they unveiled it before and shipped it way after, uh, which I think is I think is a better move for Google to do it that way, right? Like announce it before the iPhone, ship it after the iPhone. It's totally fine, right? Like just get the news in before the iPhone comes out. I think that that is a smart move for them. 
2017 is shaping up to be a pretty interesting year for smartphones. I think. No doubt. So I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it. All right. We're going to do Hackett Helps this week. We mm. have no teachy teachers. So Stephen is going to... Professor Hackett is going to uh, shed a little more light, a crash course, you could say, on the features of macOS High Sierra, because I think it's getting a little bit lost in the shuffle everywhere, right? High Sierra is maybe not the most interesting macOS release, but Stephen's going to do his best to give us a little crash course and make sure that we're all f- thoroughly up to speed with the features coming in uh, the next operating system for the Mac. So I just want to take our final break for today to thank Blue Apron for their support of this show. They are the number one recipe delivery service with the freshest ingredients. Blue Apron's mission is to to make incredible home cooking accessible to everyone whilst also supporting a more sustainable food system. They set the highest standards for ingredients whilst they're building their community of home chefs. For less than $10 a meal, Blue Apron delivers seasonal recipes of fresh, high-quality ingredients to you to help you make delicious home cooked meals that take 40 minutes or less to prepare. Each meal comes with a step-by-step, easy-to-follow recipe card and pre-portioned ingredients. And by shipping the exact amount of each ingredient that you need for each recipe, Blue Apron is also helping reduce food waste. Their freshness guarantee promises that every ingredient in your delivery will arrive ready to cook or they'll make it right. You can choose from a variety of new recipes every week or let Blue Apron's culinary team surprise you. Right now, you can get things like chili butter steaks with parmesan potatoes and spinach, fresh basil fettuccine pasta with sweet corn and cubanelli pepper, or maybe even seared chicken and creamy pasta salad with summer squash and sweet peppers. I will say cooking... Every day, cooking a couple of times a week can be a really enjoyable experience. And it kind of, especially, you know, for those of us that work in digital things and computer things, it can be kind of nice to make something with your hands. And what better if that thing that you make with your hands is also tasty? There's no weekly commitment. You get your Blue Apron deliveries when you want them. Check out this week's menu and get three meals for free with your first purchase, including free shipping, by going to blueapron.com slash connected. You'll love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. So get started today by going to blueapron.com slash connected. We thank them for their support of this show, Blue Apron. A better way to cook. Over to you, Professor Hackett. All right. So we're going to talk about Hi Sierra. Hi. Hi Sierra. Hi Sierra. Uh, there are some links in the show notes to some uh, developer pages on Apple's website. So you can read a lot more about this stuff. I thought today I would talk about user features and then a little bit about under the hood stuff. But there's a lot more under the hood stuff than we have time for today. But uh, it's there in the reading if you want to to do that. So there's a lot of fair comparison of High Sierra to like a Snow Leopard type release, you know, one that is sort of light on features, but more about improvements. And I think that I think that's totally fair. But even in Snow Leopard, Apple had user fa- facing features, and it's the same here, but they are small. Most of the things in these release notes are are smaller, sort of nice-to-haves, and not necessarily big, you know, sweeping headline features. We'll start with Safari. Safari improvements will also come to Sierra and LCAP before it. As the current version of Safari generally supports the last three OSs. So you're going to get things like uh, speed improvements and battery life improvements. Uh, Apple is claiming that, at least as of June... 
This version of Safari is 80% faster than Chrome in some JavaScript tests. You're not going to see 80% improvement everywhere, but under very certain circumstances, you may. If you know a, a, an, a web app or a website is using just this new type of JavaScript uh, libraries that are out there. But overall, it should be faster. I think the one everyone knows about is it disables autoplay video. So if you go to a website, like my local newspaper website does this now, where they just autoplay video on every story, and that can be disabled on Safari. And if you want video to play, you just click it, and it will start. Bloomberg is the literal worst of this. Oh, yeah. This oh, happens yeah. to me all the time. Every time we discuss a Bloomberg article on any show, I open the article to add it to the show notes and immediately blasted by some news video, like... Mm-hmm. Or an ad for the video that I didn't ask to be played in the first place. Yeah, it's super exciting. Yeah. Apple is calling this next item uh, intelligent. So they're tracking prevention. uh, It's tracking prevention for cross-site ads. So if you visit Amazon and look at a water bottle, and then you're on Facebook, that water bottle shows up in an ad. Uh, They're not blocking those ads. They're making it more difficult for those sort of cross-site things to work. It's... They're using machine intelligence to do this. That's sort of hand-wavy at this point. I don't really know how they're doing that. They're apparently looking at all these things and figuring out in real time what's, what's going on. This, I think, is the most interesting thing in Safari. A lot of ads work this way. A lot of ad networks work this way. And yes, there's some bad players, but there are also people who are perfectly fine advertisers that do this. And so it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. Uh, I think it's just only going to further hurt a web ad you know, the web ad ecosystem, which is already uh, in free fall, it seems like. Moving to Mail, everyone's favorite, most exciting app. Search will actually work. We talked about this on, on Query, my new show with Serenity, that in iOS 11, you can actually search in Mail and it actually works. For years, I've kept the official Gmail app on my phone. And if I need to search for something, I'll go to that because the search is much better. What's it doing then? It Like, how is it better? So they are... They, they said that they are applying Spotlight search um, technology to Mail, but they said that when Mail got searched for the first time. So I don't know if it was a rewrite of that search engine or they're doing a better job indexing it. I'm not quite sure how they've actually done it. But if you search for something now, you know, before it would usually find like, you know, all messages to Mike or all messages from Mike, but it sort of fell down on, I'm looking for a particular phrase or sentence or subject that I... I know someone referenced at some point, but I don't know when it was. And Gmail is always really good at that because Google is really good at search. And now that is available in the mail client itself. About time. They should have fixed this years ago. Um, there's some full screen stuff in mail. And uh, they, they mentioned this, I think, in the talk show that uh, mail stored on disk will take up 35% less space. That's because of some uh, APFS stuff they can... They can archive that stuff better, uh, and it seems like they're just being more efficient. So if you upgrade to High Sierra and open mail, uh, after a little while, if you go to your, your mail folder in your user library, it will be smaller than what is in Sierra. And I've got High Sierra running now. I can compare them. It's definitely smaller. So that's nice if you're like me and sync all of your email to your computer, which uh, I do. Any questions on Mail Safari? I know you don't really use either of these. Nope, I have zero desire for any of these, well, features because I don't use these applications, but it sounds really nice for people that do. Yeah, I use both. Uh, so I used Chrome for years and years, and when I bought my MacBook Pro last year, I gave Safari another shot because the battery life was so 
unpredictable on that laptop at first. And what I've sort of discovered is that Safari, for almost everything I do, is fine. It's fast. It's lightweight. I still hate that the whole UI is centered at the top. Like, why is that the case? Um, But there's still a couple apps I use that work better in Chrome, uh, a couple websites and, and, you know, some online banking stuff. But for just most of the time, Safari is perfectly fine. It's a lot better than I remember it last time I really checked it out two years ago. So if you haven't used Safari in a while and you're worried about battery life, maybe give it a shot. It seems like they're doing a good job with it these days. I think the biggest app that got sort of the most attention in High Sierra is Photos, which is good. Apple has been really hammering on Photos for a couple years now. There's a new um, framework for projects. And so if you are a... If you're using Photos data in your app, a third-party Mac app, or you are interacting with that database somehow, that is a lot more uh, robust now. You can do more with it. Uh, Built on top of that is some new printing services within Photos. So you can now print not just Apple's photo book, but Wix, uh, Whitewall, Shutterfly, and a couple others have built uh, project, you know, sort of plugins into Photos where you can print books and calendars and stuff through them. I do wonder if this means Apple's getting out of that business. I don't know. Uh, I have a several Apple printed photos books I've done over the years. Uh, have you ever done one, Mike? They're, they're really nice. Yep. I've done, I used to do cards as well. I think yeah. they still offer cards, right? Like, I, I mean, not just from the cards app, which I had, but also from photos. I've done calendars. I've, yeah, for gifts and stuff, I've done a bunch. Like, we were thinking, you know, we would probably do, maybe do some with some wedding photos and stuff as well when the time comes. Yeah. Because they're just really nice and, like, good for gifts and stuff. So Oh, totally. They're great for gifts. And it's just nice to have them. Like, we have them out, you know, and, and we can flip through them and look through, like, a family vacation. I have some from our wedding. Like it's it's a really nice way to to kind of get those photos into the real world. Uh, but so you can do that with more services now. Uh, they are they've changed the sidebar some. It's persistent now. Before you could turn it on or off, and the app looked and worked differently if the sidebar was on or off, which is a little confusing. There's new some new filtering options. So again, this idea of like search and finding what you want is better in mail. It's also better in photos. They're doing. Uh, faster and better face auto detection. So if I say this picture is Mike, this picture is Mike, this picture is Matt, it will take that data and apply it to more photos more quickly. Uh, hopefully that means uh, less of a battery impact as well because that will really just shoot through your CPU. Uh, the naming and sorting of faces is synced across devices, which is a huge win. They are well, – what's interesting about this, so how this works is you – you select, you go through and say, you know, these eight pictures are Michael. What Photos then does is goes goes out into your library and finds more photos that it thinks are Michael and adds that to the Michael collection without really asking you. And then if you stumble across it later and say, oh, that's wrong, then you can correct it. So what they're actually doing is they're just seeking that data that you put in manually. And on device, it's still churning through the whole library to see, okay, the user said these eight pictures were Mike. Uh, I think based on what I know and my machine learning capability, these other 200 pictures are Mike. So it's, I think in practice, it's like they syncing, they're syncing all of it, but it lets them sync a lot less data. And it, it's letting them use the powerful chips in the iPhone and iPad and the Macs to do that work on device. So it's sort of a hybrid approach. And as long as it works, I don't really care. I have not sorted through faces in photos because... I want once I do it, I want it everywhere, and 
now with High Sierra and iOS 11, I will take the time to do it. So, you know, I can pick up my phone or my iPad and that stuff all be there. So that that's a huge, that's probably maybe my favorite thing they've done in photos this year. I think a lot of people are really going to like it. Um, and kind of rounding it out, new editing tools are laid out better and you can edit with an external app and the changes sync back to photos. So you can have a photo and you can right click and say, I want to edit this in Photoshop. You make your changes, you hit command S in Photoshop and that change is reflected in the photos app iPhoto had something very similar years ago, and they've sort of resurrected it for photos. Aperture did the same thing. It's really nice, so you're not dragging a photo to your desktop, editing it, dragging it back in, and, you know, it's just all kind of a very cohesive workflow, and uh, one that I think a lot of people, including myself, will really like, because I do like to do edits in Photoshop, but then I'm sort of managing files manually, and this will make it a little bit easier. So photos, I think, is the... If you had to look at what got improved from a user perspective, I think photos is what most people will see the most often. Are you excited about photos? You're just sitting there quietly. Not really. Not really. I mean, look, this is, <laughs> these are great things, but I, I just don't think I'm going to do the, the face thing. Not now. I might eventually do it, but I'm not going to do it yet because I don't have 100% confidence in this system to work. Yeah. Because it's still not doing what I hoped it would do, which is just straight up say, this photo has this person in it. Like, they're not doing that still. And I, I don't know yet if this system will work, so I want to see what people say first. Plus, I mean, you know, I am a Google Photos person, and they do it for me. So sure, and in, a, in a way that is the same on all my devices. And I'm I'm not convinced, right, that... Apple's Photos app will get it right 100% of the time and that will I know that that it, that's a potential source of frustration in that an, a photo that I know is here on one device might not be on the other that I don't like that yeah I'm um, hoping that um, I remember when they, they added this was it last year and you could search for objects and I remember even across my devices they weren't always exactly the same so I totally understand what you're saying Hopefully, it gets better with time. With machine learning, that's the promise, right? That it does get better with time. But yeah, Google Photos is doing it server-side. It's all on the web. It can, they're a lot better at it. I think this is Apple catching up to Google a little bit. But I think your your concerns are totally founded. I think a lot of people honestly probably feel that way. Yeah, and just right now, this type of thing is just not that interesting to me. It just isn't. Like I liked all the photo stuff, but like faces... I'm cool. Like, it's just not really a thing that, that yeah. excited me. I spent, you know, w- I, many years when, when Apple put it in iPhoto, I categorized oh, every picture, me right? Like, too. I was all over that. But yeah, I'm kind of fine. Like, it's just not something that I'm super excited about doing. The, um, I think it's just different people want to organize. Oh, yeah. Like, if this pushes your buttons, then yeah, then it's, it's awesome. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I use, albums heavily and i know tons of people who hate albums and just do everything chronological and search like it's just different ways of doing things so mm-hmm. i think it's good uh so we're going to move the boring from the boring world of photos and the exciting world of the file system uh i know you're all excited i would i will say that i yield the floor to john syracuse in every way he's not here so you have to do this we could dial him in a little history hfs plus is approximately two hundred thousand years old it it, it was Invented in a time where Macintosh users, they put their data on stone tablets with a chisel. 
And now we have SSDs and we have fusion drives and we have large volumes and HFS plus and it's stone tablet technology are simply outgunned. So APFS is SSD first. It includes trim support. I know when Mac started putting SSDs in, if you put a third-party SSD in, people were running around, do I enable trim, do I not enable trim? APFS takes care of all that for you. It has crash protection. It has snapshots. It has native encryption. So things like File Vault 2 are sort of above the file system. All that's baked in now. Uh, And what's really interesting, we've talked a little about this in terms of iOS 11, it has instant file duplication with no additional space taken. So if I copy a Final Cut project from documents to desktop, I don't lose another 30 gigs of, of disk space. I only start losing disk space once I start editing the copy. Well, that's how drag and drop is working in iOS 11. If you take a photo from the Photos app and you drag it into a note, it just duplicates that, that file so oh. notes can see it, uh, and it's instant. You're not waiting for a large, you know, file copy situation in the background. So that that instant duplication is really nice. Uh, I'd say that is du- exciting to me because I quite frequently will like take a logic project and copy it or put it in a different place, or it might go somewhere else. And sometimes they're like three gigabytes, and yep. it takes like minutes. Yeah, And I would love that if that was instant. <laughs> so now it will be what's called copy on write. So once you start editing the second one, then it will actually like start taking up disk space again. So it's really nice. Uh, there's been a lot of questions. I had an email the other day from somebody about like, what does this mean for Time Machine? Because you're right, you have this idea like, well, I could make Time Machine backups really fast now because of this file duplication. They are slowly moving into this. Time Machine will work with APFS sources. You should not go out. The system will not go out for you and want to convert your backup destination to APFS. That is still going to stay HFS Plus for now. There's a lot of reasons for that. Hard links aren't supported in APFS the way they are HFS Plus. But the the moral of the story is time machine backups will now work in two ways. If you're plugged into power and you're plugged into your time machine drive, so like, for instance, my iMac, Backups are going to work the same way they always have. They're going to it's going to copy, change files, and keep up with it, so it knows what's new and what's not. There's a second type of backup though called mobile backup, and if you use your notebook away from your time machine drive for an extended period of time, you will notice you, you start losing disk space because macOS is basically doing time machine backups to the local drive, and then it copies all that at once to the external. It's sort of weird, but they do it so they have these sort of intermediate times backed up. Now they're just going to use snapshots for that. So mobile backups will be much faster. They'll be much smaller in size. So if you, you know, if you travel mm. for a month without your time machine drive, you know, you could lose significant disk space. Now that will be a much smaller impact, which I think is great. Mobile backups are, are big and they're slow, and especially on the spinning hard drive days, you would notice when it was going on because you, you would like feel your machine grind to a halt. Uh, that that will be in the past. So if you're a notebook user, you should see probably a little bit better battery life. You'll probably see less disk activity, and you will lose less disk space as time goes on. So that that's awesome. I would like to see them do more with this. I think that it may be coming, you know, in ten fourteen or ten fifteen. But for ten dot thirteen, at least, they're slowly putting their their toe in the water of of reinventing Time Machine and making it better, which is good. Backups are good. good news. You should mm-hmm. have you should have backups. I know you're excited about backups. I gotta have something here, something, anything, signs of life. 
Uh, yeah, okay, I'll use Time yes. Machine, and I I would be happy to see some enhancements to Time Machine. There Just you go. because I really don't want it to go away. So, like, to see them doing stuff to it is good. Like, that's what makes me happy, yes. just because I love Time Machine because I don't even need to think about it. And, you know, maybe for the entire time I've used Time Machine, it saved me like 10 times. But there are 10 times it would have been really frustrating. Like, I remember there was one time, this was maybe like three or four months ago, I did something to a logic edit. Like, I don't know what it was. I could, but I just could not undo what I did. Like, logic would not undo it. But Time Machine fixed it. Like, that was amazing. So, it's great. There's some questions in the chat room about the conversion to APFS. So, what was it? iOS 10.3 brought uh, APFS to the iPhone and the iPad used restarted and you were on APFS magically. The Mac's a little bit different. During the install process... Hi Sierra will ask you, at least at this point, I think it asks you, it may be automatic in the future. This could change. But it's during the install uh, portion that it will change it over. You can change over disks also in disk utility after the fact. You can run Hi Sierra on HFS Plus. So if you don't want to do this conversion yet, you don't have to, but you don't get all the features. So the instant file duplication and the, the improved time machine backups, you won't have because that's dependent on the file system below so will you do it uh i have actually been thinking about that i will probably do it on my laptop i may wait on my imac for a little while we'll see uh i say that i got full backups the file duplication for the same reason you mentioned would be really nice when i edit so i may end up doing it uh but i I need to do a little more uh time with the beta i think so so yeah, so that's the uh, that's kind of the lowdown on that. It is um, not quite as seamless as iOS, but I think they've made it as simple as they can. You know, I think I think like iOS, I don't think anybody will have any trouble. Like I think it'll be pretty smooth. Uh, you know, we didn't hear widespread problems with iOS. I don't I don't expect it to be you know some sort of apocalypse when people start upgrading their Macs. So uh, I will give you the choice. Do you want to talk about the video codecs? Or image codecs? Video codecs. Yay! So <laughs> exciting. Next in your rundown. <laughs> I have no no desire to talk about one more than the other. Uh, you should, the video thing is more exciting. So H.264 is being replaced with H.265, uh, high-efficiency video coding, HEVC. Really, a couple things I think you and I can both benefit from because you and I both do a little bit of video work now. It is much better for 4K, much more efficient in 4K. It will support 4K HDR if you shoot something that can uh, can capture that. Uh, the file compression is 40% better, so your files will be smaller, which means they'll be faster to copy, easier to work with, faster to skim around in Final Cut Pro. It's all good stuff. The software encoding is coming to High Sierra, High Sierra but if you are running a late 2015 iMac like I am, uh, early 2016 MacBook or a 2016 MacBook Pro, so both my machines are on this list, it can do it with hardware acceleration, which means it will be much faster to encode and decode the stuff. It's being added to Final Cut Motion and Compressor, so Apple's whole sort of video pipeline will be supported with this with this hardware acceleration if you have a, a new machine. So That's cool. Thumbs up for buying new Macs. 
the I think the big thing here will be if you're a video editor, you'll see obvious improvements. If you're just a regular consumer, then maybe not as much. Uh, you can download H.265 stuff now from the web, and it plays okay on 1012 machines. Maybe it's a little stuttery on low-end machines, but that should be better if you have one of these computers, or uh, after even after High Sierra, it should be better. So this comes in conjunction with the new image codec. Uh, it's the same as iOS. It's smaller, faster, lighter. Um, Heath is its name. Better support for live photos, which is fun. And you can export it as a JPEG. So if you need something, you know, need to work with it in an application or share it, something that doesn't understand Heath yet, then you can do you can do that. Uh, it means that I think once we're all in this world for a while, our photo libraries won't take up quite as much space as they have now because new images moving forward will be in this new, this new better compressed format. It, I don't think that Photos is going to re-compress all of your images, um, but I'm not quite sure about that. So if someone knows, I would like to know. Um, and testing even, it's sort of unclear. But uh, it's a new image, new video codecs. And then there's graphic stuff. Metal, we talked a lot about this at iOS. Uh, new Metal 2. They're using Metal 2 for like Windows Server stuff. So Mission Control now, uh, which even on like, you know, this really nice iMac, Mission Control can be stuttery. It's which super d- stuttery on my Mac. Like I'm playing with it right now and it's like, it is not very responsive. Like I compare this to iOS, like even on the iOS 11 beta, it's nicer there. Uh, so in High Sierra, they're going to use Metal for that. It's like, put our fancy gaming graphic engine behind Mission Control and it will finally be smooth. Uh, and it is smooth. In my MacBook Pro, it's really nice. So they're doing that. Um, they're using Metal 2 course for machine learning. The external GPU support is coming. So if you have a Thunderbolt 3 Mac, Right now, you can buy a developer kit, assuming that will be a consumer thing. They've said later this year or early next year. So you can buy an external GPU, plug it into your Thunderbolt 3 Mac, so a new MacBook Pro or the new iMacs, and have a, a big, v- beefy video card for processing and, and gaming and that sort of thing. And then, of course, the Pro content creation, Metal for VR, Steam VR, uh, Unity and Unreal Engines for VR, all coming to the Mac, all built on top of this stuff in High Sierra. This stuff will benefit gamers to a degree, but what I think Apple's big move here is they want the Mac to continue to be a a machine that people can develop content on. And they've been losing that race big time to Windows machines because they they just can't do the computation fast enough and they don't have the support for it. But now hopefully Macs can go back into their place in these in these content creation pipelines, uh, not only for people like me and you, but for people creating games and VR content. So, I think that'll do well. I think people will um, will like that because I think a lot of these studios use Macs for a lot of stuff, and then when it goes to create VR stuff. They've got to switch to Windows or something else, and maybe this will help kind of realign that pipeline. So, not a consumer feature, but definitely a feature and one I think that you know if you're in that line of work, I think it would be exciting to you. I mean, this is the thing, like, people get sensitive. It has to be a consumer feature as well. Like, if you're developing VR on a system, you have to be able to test what you're yeah. developing. Oh, yeah. So that means it has to run the games. Yeah, and they're bringing, you know, um, those engines and Steam VR and everything to mm-hmm. it. So I think it'll be good. I think that, you know, you've talked a lot about wanting a VR machine and not necessarily wanting to run Windows. It seems like your time may be coming, Mike. Hi, Sierra, maybe bringing it to you. 
Uh, I think I'll need a new Mac as well, though. Honestly, like probably this this machine. This machine just isn't specced. Yeah, well enough. And I have the top of the line previous iMac. The the late twenty fifteen. Yeah, yeah. Your your and and my machines are almost identical. And uh, yeah. yeah, I and think that this you would be isn't enough. Yeah, you need something new. Mm-hmm. But that's fine. I mean, that's fine. Uh, I am more likely at this point right now to buy a Windows PC than I am a new Mac for VR, mm-hmm. just because of where everything is. But um, I keep looking at it, man. I keep looking at Windows machines. It's just I'm getting closer and closer to doing it. But I just want to try and stay away from as long as possible. Yeah, I understand that. It's not, it's not cheap. It's not cheap. No. Thank you for teaching us, Professor Hackett, about High Sierra. You bet. We will get back to iOS 11 next week, I'm sure. But, you know, High Sierra is not, like I said, it's not the most exciting release. It's not one that I think a lot of people are super enthusiastic about from a feature perspective. But I think if you care about the Mac, and especially if you create on the Mac, there's a lot of stuff in here that was going to make those workflows better. I mean, the the video codec stuff alone... I'm shooting in 4K now for my YouTube channel. My last video was in 4K. The one I'm working on now, I'll, I'll will release in 4K. It is a dog right now, and I've got you know, late 2015 iMac that uh, is basically loaded except I have the i5 instead of the i7, but I have the big GPU in it, and it just it just hammers it. And I am looking forward to the software stuff coming along, making the 4K stuff better. But then the iMac Pro and the Mac Pro coming on, on online as well later this year and next year. I think content creation on the Mac is getting ready to get serious again, and that's 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 the Mac's bread and butter, man. Like that's where the Mac has always thrived is people making stuff, and I yeah. think that they are getting serious about that again. And that that for me as a Mac fan is exciting. And I think if you're a Mac user, it should be exciting to you as well. Yeah, it's why they're still here. It's why they were saved, right? Oh, yeah. Because people yeah. were still using the stuff to make stuff. Oh, yeah. They I saved mean, them. print publishing is was the Mac's, like, holdout in the 90s. Yeah, we could... Yeah. We could, we could if, you're, if you're still awake, we could talk about that. I don't want to talk about it today. Okay. We're all good for today. Plus, okay. you know, we all know the story. Yes. You can find our show notes this week at relay.fm slash connected slash 151. Uh, if you want to... Follow us online. There's a few places that you can do that. You can go over to fightopixels.net for Stephen's work. He's at ISMH on Twitter. Our tortoise handling friend, Federico Vitici, is at Vitici, V-I-T-I-C-C-I, and he's at maxstories.net. And I am iMike, I-M-Y-K-E, on Twitter. Thanks again to our sponsors this week, Text Expander, Blue Apron, and Ting. And we'll be back next time. Until then, say goodbye, Stephen Hackett. Adios.